What is this? It's, um, sauteed zucchini. It's ID food. I don't want no ID food. It's not. Uh, I got it at the A&P. It's like, uh, squash. I know ID food when I hear it. It's all them eeny foods. Zucchini and linguine and fettuccine. I want some American food, damn it. I want French fries. Oh, get off the table, Fellini. And that's my cat. His name is Jake, not Fellini. I won't have any eeny in this house. Your name is Jake, you understand? The Lifers Podcast with Scott Lucas, Gabe Rodriguez, and Ben Reiser. And now, here's Scott, Gabe, and Ben. (laughs) Gabe, wow, that is not a hotel. You made it, my man. Oh, it was six days of, of... Dry air and a lot of a lot of gas. Oh my god! But I made it to Florida. You mean hot air and a lot of gas? That just sounds like being in a car with you. <laughs> no, no, no. That doesn't happen. Is this our first show back from tour? No, it's not. We did one last week, right? Did we? God, who do we have? Oh, Mike. We had Ben's buddy, Mike. People really liked that episode, Ben. Did they? Mike did a good job. Was it the, <laughs> did they? The book story? Have you heard, heard something? Have you heard the feedback? I heard very positive feedback. Good. And he, he sounds good. He's got a good radio voice, and his microphone is good. You know whose microphone isn't good? Gabe. <laughs> Gabe, where is your microphone? I'll get it out. It was in my storage bin. I didn't get it from the storage unit. I'll get it next week. Oh, I, I'm so sorry. I mean, you know, you sound like Rick Froberg over here. And when I ask you where your mic is, <laughs> you get mad at me. Wow. I think we're going to start using the Froberg as a verb, like you try and use a game as a verb. Good luck. <laughs> Gabe, who have we got on the show tonight? Well, I was told just the other day that Frida Love Smith, which I didn't know she was Smith, but now she's Frida Love Smith. She's she's been Smith for a while. Okay. Well, when you have a name like she's married to Jean Loves Jezebel. Yeah. No. Yeah. Mm. Well, anyway, Jake loves Frida is is what it is. Yes. Okay. Well, she's going to be on the show. She is. Tell us. Come on. Tell us more. I mean, for the people uh, who don't know, drummer Frida. from Blake Babies, some girls, and she's got some other bands that she's doing these days that I'm not. Too familiar she, with, but we'll she's get, not. We'll get she's she's about to uh, retire from all of that, but no. leave that whole life behind. Uh, and so, I think this would be a good time to talk to somebody who loves music, who's been in a lot of great bands, and um, you know, just can't 
really devote their time to it. And also her lower back, she had some surgery and now I think her wrists, which is something I'm still wearing this thing. So, uh, is something I can really, um, understand, sympathize with. Maybe I can get some tips from Frida on how to, uh, how to gracefully bow out because this thing is killing me. You're still Fire. wearing the brakes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Because your, your arm hurts your wrist. There's some real crazy carpal tunnel going on. Um, and you know, I was blaming it on the guitar, which I know it is. Cause when I play my thumb is killing me. Um, but I haven't played in about a week. And then last night I was putting together this playlist for G-Man and and when I was done suddenly my wrist hurt like a bejesus Ben is that is that is that okay to say you hurt the bejesus out of your wrist it hurt so, so maybe it's not the guitar maybe it's the phone and in that case great I can put that thing away as long as I can play guitar I don't know Gabe yes. you've been on the road a lot lately you're what they call a road dog I used to be called Road Doug. I even, it's, it's, it's my moniker, as some people might say. Oh, yeah, some people. You, <laughs> you might say this. Frida is really into, like, food. We'll talk to her about that. Uh, did you eat anything good on your trip? Have you noticed uh, a change in what you can eat as a vegetarian as opposed to what you could eat back in the day? Oh, yes, because every place has Beyond Burger. But every time I tell you that I see a place that has Beyond Burger, you tell me, don't eat that stuff too much. And I'm like, you, why not? You got to dial it back. You got to dial it. It's, I, I, I know, but it's so good. Is it good? You don't know if it's made of people yet. We don't know this. Uh, do you think it's there's, there's human remains in Beyond Burger? Is that what you're trying to say? All I'm saying is... Uh, yes, it's fun. It's, it's fun to eat, but you know, it's the same as eating a Big Mac. You're not going to eat this thing every day. Yeah. When I hear about beyond, when I hear about this beyond and impossible stuff, for some reason, I keep thinking of those potato chips that came out like 10, 20 years ago that gave everyone diarrhea, you know, those, yeah. um, Alestra. Alestra. Thank you. That's right. What I, that's if what it's it too good to be true, it probably is. I mean, honestly, the best thing you could probably eat is the black bean burger. Oh, that's terrible. Come on. You don't like a black no, bean burger? No, I don't like a black bean burger. Yeah, but I, I had, I've been reading a lot lately. Not a lot. People are saying, why do vegetarians want to eat things that taste like meat? Imitation things that taste like meat. Well, it's an like, obvious. Go ahead. And my point to them is, and this is probably going to sound stupid, but. Like if, if you're, uh, no. it's, it's what we ate before we stopped eating, you know, before we stopped eating meat. So we, it's, it's what we know. We didn't stop eating meat cause we didn't like hamburgers and hanging out with our friends and eating hot dogs. That's not why we stopped eating meat. We stopped eating meat cause it was like, this is bullshit. Yeah. But it's like imitation strawberry sweetener or whatever, you know, we, because you know what strawberries taste like. Gabe, are you drunk? No, I just had a shake though. I had a, I had a peach shake. You know, if you're gonna have like like high seed punch, it's imitation strawberry punch. You're 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 all uh, you're all hopped up on shakes. I, I had an imitation corn dog yesterday. A porn like, dog? 
<laughs> corn dog. Okay. That's different. You know? But I actually never liked corn dogs growing up anyway, but I had I, it again. I mean, a, a corn dog, a real corn dog is halfway to imitation anyway. What, we don't want to eat lips and assholes? Okay, fine. We're jerks. Right, but they don't make lips and assholes and beaks and feet with the fake corn dogs. That's that's whatever it is. They might, is what I'm trying to tell you. So uh, all I'm can't. saying is even if it's plant-based, it's the lips and assholes of plants. So I'm just saying, you know, it's, it's once a week. Once a week for me, just once a week. What just is do it once a do week. they tell you these people? Do they do, do, do the companies explain what goes into an impossible burger? Or no, they, they go. It's plant based, and what it goes hooray! I don't have to eat vegetables anymore. But you do <laughs> have to eat vegetables, buddy. You do. I had you, vegetables. I had uh, what I had today. You had iceberg lettuce. That's not a vegetable. I didn't. It was yeah. iceberg. No, it yeah. was actually. I know different. it was. I know you. It wasn't iceberg lettuce. It was. It was. A different kind of lettuce. It, it was, was lettuce. But it what does it ice mean to be plant-based? Does that mean like you're, they're taking a hosta or something and chopping it up? Fine it's and- probably soybean. Oh, okay. And lentil, uh-huh. which is soylent, which is <laughs> made of people. I think I have to watch this movie just to know what you guys are talking about some of these times. You yeah, do. It's times. on HBO Max. I know you have that, don't you? Uh, I used to have it. I used to have it. I, I'll, I'll, I might get it because I've been on a huge, a huge Kirby Enthusiasm kick, so I got to finish the season and stuff. Where are you watching Kirby Enthusiasm? I'm watching clips on YouTube right now. Oh, they, dude. That's all I got. Come on. I just got settled in. Let me, let me get my stuff. Come on. I had HBO Max for a while, then I didn't watch it, so I let lapse, and now I'm back. HBO like, Max is the best, Jerry. The best. I'm thinking Curb is better than Seinfeld right now. Well, hey, that's 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 fine. Prove me wrong. Prove me wrong. Seinfeld's better. No, it's not. Yes, it is. You know what? The shock of the new. You know, you're like, oh, my new boyfriend is Curb Your Enthusiasm. Seinfeld's been with you for years. You're going to abandon it for this new floozy, Curb Your Enthusiasm? This new HBO no, Max floozy? No, it's, it's, well, could they it's, can say bad words. You think it's, it's better? So you, <laughs> unpack that yourself, man. Ben, back. Hey, up. everybody. <laughs> I uh, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about Curve versus Seinfeld. I don't feel like I want to pick a favorite out of those. But I would add to the mix that I, the only other good post Seinfeld show that any of them have been involved with so far is I think Veep. Veep. I found to be very funny. Dude, you you need HBO Max because Veep is on there too. And right. like Julie Louis-Dreyfus kills on that show. Absolutely kills. It's great. See, you're going to love it. And once you get tired of Kirby enthusiasm, like, you know, your new floozy and you're ready to throw her to the curb and you need something else, it's going to be Veep. You know what? Ryan and I passed Mendy's the other day when we were in New York. Which one's that? Mendy's. You've forgotten everything about Seinfeld? What was Mendy's? The soup place? It's where Banyan wants to go and to have a meal. Not soup. Soup's not a meal. <laughs> he wants to have a meal. What, what do you mean when you say you're watching clips on YouTube? You can get basically the whole episode if you watch them clip basically. by clip. 
You can get yeah, the whole like episode that. on it's HBO Max. I know. What kind of phone do you have? iPhone. AT&T, right? Yes. It's free. I don't think it is. It, it's free. Are you doing Paramount Plus? No, Paramount Plus is the worst. Mm-hmm. The worst. Yeah. But I, I hope to get it down to three. I want to get it down to Shutter, Criterion, and HBO Max. I cannot live without Barry. Come on. You watching Barry? You, you're going to tell me you don't like Barry. Me? Yeah. No, I like it. Oh, Gabe, you got to see Barry. It's about uh, Barry. I can't think of my famous Barry besides Barack. But, Just uh, stop it. You did this joke already. Greg Brady. What's his, what's his name? Barry. What's his name? Barry Bonds. No. Barry Bostwick. Greg, Greg Brady. What was his name? Barry Bula. No. Ben, what was Barry, Greg Brady's name? Barry, Barry, William, Barry. Barry Williams is the Barry you're looking for. Barry, Barry Williams. Williams. He's the most famous Barry of all time. Music is my life. He's not Barry. the most famous Barry of all time. Barry White? Barry Williams is more famous than Barry White? Greg Brady. He fit the suit. <laughs> <laughs> and that makes him better than Barry White? That's better, but he's more famous in his heyday. He was a teen pop star. Tiger Beats. No, he wasn't. He played a guy, he played a teen who became a teen pop star for one episode. Here we because go. He quit the suit. You ready? Number At number two, most famous people, next most famous people named Barry. Number two, Barry Bonds. Mm. Number three, Ooh. Barry Manilow. How did we forget what? Barry Manilow? What? Barry Manilow. He's got the whole, he writes the songs that make the whole world sing. Number four, Barry White. Number five, another one. How did we forget this? Barry Gibb. Dude, Barry Gibb, the best <laughs> Barry on this list, without a doubt. Barack makes the picks the cake on this one. Then we take a huge drop down for number seven dr demento his name is barry i don't even know oh well i love dr demento i'd vote barry, for him barry diller who's that a famous hollywood like agent or something yes he is as if you didn't know like you just pulled that out of nowhere speaking of barry diller remember there's that great dustin hoffman uh acceptance speech at the oscars and he breaks down crying thank you barry <laughs> and i can't remember if he's talking about barry diller or he's talking about Barry Levinson. He might be talking about both of them because I think he oh, won yeah. for Rain Man. Because it was right? for Rain Man, right? Yeah. yeah. So that's number nine is Barry Levinson. Who's number one? Number one, Barry Goldwater. He's number one? Yeah. No, no, no. Barry or Gibb, my friend. Anyway. Barry Gibb is the number one Barry. And Barack doesn't count, Gabe. And even if Barack did count... I'm going to say this. No matter what happened in this country that Barack Obama did, none of it was as important as Nights on Broadway. I said it. <laughs> I said it. I said it. Scott, did you see the post that somebody put on there on the Cold Manor where they put the video for Laid Back, Ride the White Horse, and said that the singer looks like a young Scott Lucas? What is going on over there? Are there snakes hanging around? What is... What is Where? It's like shh. Noise? You know, last week it was a cal. It was like Doctor Doolittle <laughs> over there. Like, I, I don't know what we're gonna get on your your sound bar this week, but it sounds like you're in the pit of souls 
or something. No. A well of souls. But look at the video Snakes. for laid laid oh, back ride the white horse. You're gonna see a young whippersnapper. Gabe, if there's one thing I learned, if you're gonna ride, don't ride the white horse. Hey everybody, it's Frida Love Smith. Yay. Hello. Frida, how you doing? I'm doing pretty well. How are you, Scott? I'm all right. Let's uh let's get right to it. You're all right. uh you're retiring from drumming. I am. I'm retiring from drumming. I'm going to play a few more shows over the next month and then hanging up my sticks. Now, have you thought about retiring from drumming before? <laughs> Why, yes. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> so is there a chance that this is just another one of your instances of not going through with it? No, I think this is really it. This really this feels for real this yeah. time. Um, in you know, in the past when I've stopped drumming, I've always said that I'm quitting, but this time I'm saying I'm retiring, mm-hmm. which I feel like carries a lot more weight. And uh, yeah, I think yeah. it's going to stick. But my friends are teasing me. I mean, I, I I've quit so many times. I honestly don't know how many times <laughs> I have. There's like a really funny Mark Twain quote that gets bandied about, like something like it's easy to quit smoking. I've done it thousands of times. Right. <laughs> That's a little bit like me and drumming. Um, but in the past, like some of the, I don't know, disaffection or frustration that I've had to deal with is like nothing compared to the fact that my body's just kind of done. Right. Well, was it like a couple of years ago, you were saying it was really hurting your back. Was that what it was? And that's yeah, why you started I, standing up. Yeah. I actually had back surgery a few years ago. So I, I, uh, sort of blew up a disc in my lower back. Yeah. That's the technical way to put it, I think. Um, yeah. And I had, a, I had a, I had minor back surgery, and I, I just couldn't really comfortably sit at a drum set after that. I mean, I could, could kind of do it, but it felt a lot better to stand. So I rigged up this crazy drum set that I've been using with my Chicago band Sunshine Boys, where I have a trigger pedal that is the kick drum. So I can play, play with my foot standing up, because it's a sort of not a, it's kind of a, a narrow pedal, mm-hmm. trigger pedal. And then I just have a great big old floor tom, a snare drum, and one cymbal. So it's, it's a kind of a weird cocktail type setup. But I have found that that kept my back pretty much out of trouble. But then there's also like my wrists and my elbows and my shoulders and <laughs> the rest of it, um, which is just starting to wear out. And I, I just like, I want to be able to... Um, to walk off stage intact like I don't want to play until I just like can't move right anymore so just sort of wanted to it's not like I feel like I'm stopping at a high like a total high point but just not at a total low point well, I was watching mysteries of life on uh when you guys were on Conan O'Brien hmm. today and you were standing up back then yeah, absolutely. I, I the first time I played standing up was when I was super super pregnant with my first kid. Oh, and I is that what was going on? Okay. <laughs> yeah, right. I couldn't fit behind the drum set, and so like on the very very first Mysteries of Life record, which I, I always think of as it's called Keep a Secret, and mm-hmm. I think of that as like my pregnancy album. Like um, it, we were expecting our first kid, we'd just gotten married, we were playing these really quiet songs in our living room, and and yeah, we rigged up this maternity drum set um so because i recorded so many of the records like that even though i wasn't pregnant when i played on conan i wanted to play that same setup that i'd used on the recording so i right. yeah, definitely and and you know maureen tucker is my biggest drum 
um, influence, like for sure. She's she's my drum idol. So have you seen that uh, documentary? The, the Todd Haynes one. I still haven't seen it, which is really she, weird. She gets all the best lines. She's she's just making fun of hippies. She's a firecracker. It's great. <laughs> she, she's she's hilarious. She's yeah. intense, um, but an incredible drummer, a yeah. really innovative, powerful drummer, and like such such an integral part of of the sound of that band. Um, so yeah, I never needed much convincing to play standing up because I always just thought of it as a little bit of an homage to my favorite drummer. Right. Well, Gabe's going to be sorry to hear about this. Uh, he's a big fan of your drumming. Yeah, that's very nice. Thank you. This is the first I heard that this is happening, but uh, maybe it'll be like the Tom Brady retirement. Well, it'll just be for a couple of weeks and then we'll, we'll see something. It's kind of funny because I did. I made. I. I. Uh, my band, Sunshine Boys, is playing our final show uh, on uh, June twenty third, I think. And so I, I've made like a big deal about how like this is it. This is my last show. And then um, Scott, as you know, Hot Stove is happening. This benefit um, that Scott and I are both involved with. Right happening in chicago on july 1st i was like no i'm not gonna play like i'm gonna be retired by then <laughs> and uh our friend ed velasquez who's one of the organizers was like come on and so then i was like okay and then i immediately started catching crap from my friends like nice one week retirement <laughs> <laughs> share so this is going to be the last hot stove you're going to do definitely it really is come really on you're done. the best part about that whole thing <laughs> i'll still come and party i mean no offense to Ed, but everybody knows you're the coolest guy there. <laughs> that is very sweet. Yeah. Well, I love Hot Stove, and I love Ed. Yeah, it's going to be fun. It's going it to be is. a lot It's going to be super fun with Mavis. And, you know, I, I don't, like, I don't think that people have to retire when they get old. I mean, look at, the, look at Mavis, for example. Right. I, think, I don't think it's, like, for me, it's not really about, like, okay, I'm in this, like, certain age, which is 55 this year. But it's, like, so what? It's, like, it's not about that. It's just that... My body's kind of done, and I have other things I I want to work on. But you got a I lot of stuff going on. I do. I've got some stuff going on. Yeah. Well, first of all, where the hell are you from? Because I used to think you were from Boston, and then I found out you're not. And then I thought you were from Indiana. But are you? I'm from Indiana. I was born in oh, Tennessee. Are. Okay. Um, but I didn't live there very long. I grew up in Bloomington, Indiana, like kind of in and around Bloomington, Indiana, in the southern part of the state. And moved to Boston when I was 18. So I was really young when I moved. Were to you Boston. going to school there? Why did you go to Boston? I was just following my boyfriend, John Strom, out there. He was going to Berkeley, the music uh -huh. school in right. Boston. And I, I wasn't, I dropped out of Indiana University and I didn't really know what I was going to do. I just was going to go start a band with my boyfriend in yeah. Boston, which is actually what we did. It is what you did, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It was so, a great I mean, career plan. But. It was just, you guys didn't know that there was stuff happening in Boston or we like did. musically? We, yeah, we did. I mean, we knew, we like, we loved Mission of Burma and we knew about yeah. Cave Dogs. Like we knew that there was an amazing music scene out there. And then he got into music school. So, you know, he kind of had a legitimate reason for being there. And, and I just sort of picked up and went out there with him. And, and that's where we met Juliana, like right. in that first year of his college, um, his first year of college, we met her at Berkeley and just immediately started the band. We were all 18. So were you playing drums by this point before kind you of. went out there? <laughs> yeah, no, kind of. I mean, I, I knew how to play a beat. I knew how to play Sweet Jane. Uh -huh. um, <laughs> and I was like, that's good. Let's start a band. <laughs> like that punk flyer, like right. that has the three chords. Then go start a band. That was, that was pretty much my ethos. How long did that take for, like, did you have a, 
because you have a feel the way you play. And uh, did that, was that right away, or did that take a little bit, you know, once you learned other songs other than Sweet Jane? No, I just like I sat down and John, John Strom was a drummer before he played guitar. So he had drums in his basement and he was wanting to play guitar more and like transition away from drums. So he's like, I know I'll teach my girlfriend how to play Jeez, drums. And then another one. I could. These play drummers guitar. are just never satisfied. Right. Exactly. What is wrong with drummers? I know. I know. Okay. Right. Um, Except for you. You're fine. <laughs> thank you. Okay. But yeah, no, but I picked it up right away. I, um, I. I've always had like a decent sense of rhythm and it came to me really naturally. But what I didn't have was a work ethic back then. Uh-huh. And so I was really like lazy. Honestly, I was just like, okay, I know how to play a beat. And, and it took me a long time to really try anything else. I, I mean, I pretty much just played that one beat that I played the first time I sat down at drums, you know, for years, that was kind of it. Um, but you know, it worked out. Okay. It worked yeah. out. Okay. It was good. <laughs> yeah. Right. Good thing it was sweet Jane. I mean, that'll, it started off at a good spot. That's right. So, I mean, so you're there and Dinosaur Jr. is there and the Pixies are there and like, throwing muses. I mean, it's like, what are some bands that you love that we might not know about? That's so funny. Somebody just asked me this and I was remembering this band that you don't hear anything about called Dreadful in the Din that were a little bit of a, a Mission of Burma offshoot. I think they might have recorded something, maybe an EP. I, I was uh-huh. going to look. Um, and they're, yeah, they were just this like droney, um, mesmerizing band and and kind of remind me of Volcano Sons, who also were like a Burma offshoot, right. who I used to go see all the time, who I absolutely loved. And I don't know, like, are the Volcano Sons, like, do they have... I don't know. I've never heard of them. Gabe? Okay, yeah, yeah, you, you got to hear them. You got to hear Jack. It's an incredible song. We were all really into that. Me and John and Juliana were all really into that song, Jack. And White Elephant by Volcano Sons. Oh, my God. Okay. I'm actually really jealous that you've never heard it and you get to hear it for the first time. <laughs> um, they were amazing. But, yeah, they, you don't hear much about those bands. But, you know, so, ma- so many of the bands that, that we were playing with that we were going to see, like, did become really huge and are like still very much around i mean like like the pixies the throwing muses buffalo tom the Lemonheads, right, galaxy tom. 500 yeah it was insane it was like every night there was an amazing show and we went out all the time and by far like our biggest influence was just the people we knew and the people that we saw in bands which feels really lucky when i think yeah. back on it now i'm like i didn't even know i mean i kind of knew but I wasn't fully aware of just like how amazing and how flourishing the scene was and just like how lucky we were to be there then. And I'd always felt like everyone was so much cooler than us. All the other bands were so much better than us that we were just this sort of like dorky kid sister band so or something. <laughs> it's very much what it felt like. And that kind of rings true still today. Uh, to kind say. of. But I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, you guys certainly played played that role like when you watch those videos you, you guys are like yeah oh. yeah we were pretty goofy but like you don't you didn't sound like anybody nobody nobody sounded like the Blake babies yeah I think it's because yeah I think it's just a sort of like we all we were pretty quirky musicians I was just learning how to play and we were just like kind of figuring out how to how to be a band all together and because we were so young like I said we were 18 there's some advantages to that like we weren't we weren't spoiled by our influences. We were inspired, but we just sounded like like us. So uh, there was three records. 
uh, and was one of them on a major? Is is that what it was, or was were they all kind of no. like? Like the first one we put out ourselves nicely, nicely. And then we got signed to Mammoth Records, who later were bought out by Disney. But that happened after after we broke up. So, I mean, Mammoth's whole goal was. So that third record wasn't distributed by anybody that was looking to farm you guys up to a major or anything like that? No, there was a lot of talk of that at the time. And there were definitely labels interested, but nothing worked out. And then we just kind of fell apart before we could make anything happen. Yeah. Why'd you fall apart? And then we thought we were so old. We were like 23. Isn't like, that crazy? So jaded. And Isn't that crazy? I've had enough of this. Yeah. <laughs> that was the first time I quit music. Right. <laughs> like, so, so you quit music. That was it. I did. I mean, John and I had this spinoff band antenna for a little while, but that was, that was not going great for me. And so I quit and left and went and lived in this like macrobiotic, um, like cult for a while. Um, uh, but yeah, but then I, but then I came back, but yeah, I think, I think I was like 23 or 24 the first time I, the first time I quit. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, the you guys had a kind of an, a shoegazy thing going on with antenna. Yeah. A little bit. Like we definitely listened to way too much my bloody Valentine at a certain point. Mm-hmm. And, um, sort of painful to listen to that stuff <laughs> now. So. It is. It is. But there there are some things that were kind of liberating about that band. Um, And I definitely got to like play around as a drummer more. So like ultimately it was probably kind of good for me, even if it didn't really pan out in any way. Yeah. What were you going to say about Blake Babies? I think I cut you off. Oh, just the, um, the breakup. I, I was just thinking about that too, because the, um, American Laundromat, you know, that label that Juliana puts out a lot of stuff on, they're releasing yeah. a like a special vinyl edition of Sunburn, our, our last full-length album. They're right. putting that out on vinyl. And so we've been doing some interviews, and I was just kind of looking back at some old interviews to refresh my memory, because I've forgotten about some of that stuff. And yeah, we were talking about our breakup in one, in one of these interviews, and it's just like, on the one hand, like John and I were a couple, but we were... We were having a hard time, so we were, like, bickering a lot. And then poor Juliana was just sort of miserable. Just, like, the three of us in the van on these long, long tours. It was really uncomfortable. And we were kind of, like, going in different directns musically. So it, it wasn't it wasn't the prettiest. Breakup. I was watching that video today where, I was, speaking of being in a weird cult, I was watching the video where you guys are cutting each other's hair. And, like, <laughs> and you, you guys are making out. And I'm like, poor Juliana. I know. It's like this is was this is what it was like all the time. I think that's sort of symbolic representation of what it was like. Yeah, uh-huh. because I think she kind of wrote that video. So, yeah, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's what she was communicating.
when you're in this uh, macrobiotic cult, was that back in Indiana? <laughs> that was back in Massachusetts. Um, it was this place called the Cushy Institute, which was a macrobiotic study center in Beckett in the, the Berkshires in the mountains. It was beautiful. It was like a former um, monastery what? That, that the this macrobiotic community like bought. And I lived there for six months, I think. It was actually really cool. It was really, I learned how to cook and it so was So that like was a really the start of your thing with food, maybe? It was, you know, it was a chapter in the story for sure. My start was like cooking with my grandmother in Tennessee, but this was a big, like a big influence on my cooking. And so you are from Tennessee. I was born in Nashville. Okay. Yeah. All right. I've lived a lot of places because I, I moved back to Indiana after the Blake babies broke up. And that's where Antenna was. That's where the Mysteries of Life were. That's where I met my husband, Jake. And but then our family moved to England for four years. And then from there, we moved to Evanston when we got jobs at Northwestern. So okay. that's the whole there's that's the whole geography. That's so my was map. this after Mysteries of Life when you and Jake and everybody moved to England? Yeah, pretty much. We did a couple Mysteries of Life gigs when we were over there. We weren't we weren't really actively playing anymore by then. We we did a couple records for RCA and were unceremoniously dropped on okay. our asses, and then it kind of fizzled out. But we kept, you know, we still play sometimes. We made a record last year. I, I don't know when that was. Time is so weird. But at some point in the past two years, we made a record. Jake's not retiring. Um. <laughs> he's just kind of opting out, but okay. <laughs> he still plays. He's the bass player. And do you know the band, the Volker Boatman? He plays with yeah. them. They play at Shubas every January and they'll play in Indiana every now and then. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. What was I going to say? Fuck. I forgot. You totally, I was going, it was going so well. Uh, it still is. Yeah. So then you guys, okay. Okay. I know what it was. RCA. Who roped you into RCA? How'd you go over there? Well, there's an A&R an guy. It's <laughs> <laughs> going so well. It was. There is an A&R guy mm -hmm. named Franz Fleischli, who had actually been a big Blake Babies fan. He, I think he interviewed me and Juliana for his college paper or something mm -hmm. like that. And so, yeah, somehow we got this, this gig at RCA and we'd made some demos in Indiana that I don't know how, but they found their way to Franz and he signed us. That's it. It was really weird. It was that post Nirvana moment right. when a billion bands got signed. It was, it was so unlikely. It was so surprising. We weren't even trying. And so we kind of figured like, well, what, what the hell? We might as well try this thing and see, see what happens. And it was kind of fun. We made a couple records. They didn't sell and we got dropped. But it wasn't like you worked with these people in Antenna and they followed you over to, or you followed them over to RCA, because that's what I would have thought. No, it was much more random than that. And it was definitely like, you know, we got swept up in that, that signing wave that happened. Spree, bloodbath, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. <laughs> Basically, yeah. yeah. So then you're, you're in England and then you, you come back to Evanston what to teach is that what's going on yeah so jake had jake um has a phd in media studies and his first job was in nottingham in england that's why we moved because that's the job that he got while we were over there i um i got a master's degree in creative writing and i didn't play drums you know barely at all like the whole time we we're there we did a couple mysteries of life gigs but basically didn't play and then 
he got the job at Northwestern and we moved here. And I think at that point, you know, I hadn't played in, in years, really. And, you know, maybe it was like eight years of not playing at all. So I did pretty much think like, well, that's probably over. Um, but I think it was like, I, you know, I started going to see shows in Chicago at Evanston. I started going to see Robbie Folks at the hideout and, you know, seeing people like Callie Hogan and Nora O'Connor and um, like Janet Bean and all these people like my age that were still playing music and like, really great stuff right it just like i just kind of fell back into it. i think robbie asked me to do one of those mondays at the hideout with him yeah. and i did it and yeah i hadn't played drums in eight years really so i had to like find some drums i didn't have any drums and and i did that gig with him and and i thought yeah i think i'm not done yet i think i still got something to say but but nothing would have happened if i hadn't met doc julian and jackie shimble because that like we started a band and so that's really like that has totally defined this whole last chapter of my dream life so how long was how long ago was that when you like did that thing with robbie that was probably 2015 okay wow not that long ago at all no not that long ago and then sunshine boys formed played our first gig in 2016 just a couple weeks after the trump election we played our first show it's your fault I'll own that. Yeah. So, so <laughs> this, this was all right before I met you. Like yeah. you, you, you had just gotten back into music. Yeah, oh. I think that's exactly right. I might have met you Rick, super briefly on a, um, a tour with Juliana, like way back in she, the early aughts. She was on tour with uh, Matthew Cause at, yeah. at, uh, at Chuba's. And you came over and you were talking and, you know, and you walked away. And Juliana just looks at me. And she goes, I just love her so much. Oh, She's just so great. Nice. I love her too. Can I ask, what was it like living in England and how eager were you to get back to the States? How was the food? Yeah, how was the food? The food's mixed, (laughs) as anyone knows Mm -hmm. who's ever been there. I remember the first time I went to England was, it was an antenna tour. And uh, so that was like in the 90s. The food was awful then it was so bad <laughs> yeah. and I like I was vegetarian like I could not find anything to eat and I um I was staying in one of those grubby rooming houses where they used to put you when you're touring over there and um I ran into Lou Barlow and I was just like complaining about the food and and he's like beans on toast he's like that's what Ugh. I eat for breakfast every morning and I'm like okay like because at least I can get some protein so yeah but but beans on toast, like, what are these people so thinking? disgusting. I know. It's just so weird. Good um, Indian food, though. Very, very good Indian food. Yeah. That's always the best. Um, I think by the time we got over there, by the time we were living in England, like, food in general was better. It, it, and it had improved. Um, you know, even, like, pub food had, like, gone up a notch for sure. Yeah. But, yeah, I liked living in England. I mean, it was really it was really lonely. I didn't know anybody there. And they're not necessarily like... You didn't speak the language? I did not. <laughs> no. They're not, you know, coming from southern Indiana, they're not the friendliest people. It's not like they bring a casserole when you move in like, next right. door, like anything like that. But I guess I should have been used to that after living in Boston. But, um, you know, it took me a while. It took me a while to, like, make friends and get settled there. But I loved it. I mean, it was really pretty. We lived in this this cute little hobbit hole in this little village uh-huh. and it 
it just it felt nice to be there. The thing that I loved, the, this is going to sound kind of weird, but like the thing that I really loved was knowing that everybody had health insurance. Like I used to think about that all the time. I'd be standing like waiting for the bus and just looking around and being like, we all have health insurance, no matter what happens. Like we're all good. Like we're covered. Right. And and I loved how even super conservative people over there were so proud of the NHS. Like they they just love it. It's Our taxes it's, are paying for something. It just makes sense. Yeah, it makes so much sense. So I really liked I really liked that. And I really liked being able to travel. Like I haven't been a big world traveler, but I I loved being able to get on the train and four hours later get off the train and be in Paris. Which, by the way, that's exactly how long it takes me to get from Evanston to Bloomington. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was nice. Like, you know, I went to Turkey, which is where my mom lives, like a few times and yeah. What's I she just, doing in Turkey? She's 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 she lives there now. She's lived there since I was eighteen. <laughs> she, oh yeah. Um, she's married to a, a Turkish um, ethnomusicologist and and composer, and she she's a crazy old Turkish lady now. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I take that out. I don't. So, before we get to Sunshine Boys, <laughs> yes. Where, what about some girls? When did that happen? Yeah. So that was okay. I'm not really great with the years, but at some point, like I think, and maybe. 99 or something like that blake babies reunited and we made a record called god bless the blake babies okay um, which it was so you're fun. still in the U- u.s at this yeah point. still in the u.s still in bloomington i've got two babies living in bloomington jake's in grad school and uh, john and juliana came out to bloomington as did as did dando and we made god bless the blake babies mm-hmm. um and we subsequently did like a couple tours on it but that it fizzled out. But it was, you know, much friendlier, much happier. It was a really, um, like, a good vibe kind right. of reunion, which I, I kind of orchestrated because I felt like I felt like we had another good record in this. But I also felt like I wanted us to have a happier ending right. as a band, and and so and we did. So God bless the Blake babies was that. But Julianne and I both felt at the end of that, like, okay, we are done with Blake babies, but it'd be really nice to do something else together. So we formed some girls as an all-female band with our with my friend from Indiana. She was living in Indiana at the time, Heidi Gluck, mm-hmm. who's a really talented multi-instrumentalist. And yeah, we made two records for, what was that label? Um, <laughs> I uh, can't remember. Was it Rounder? No, it was something like that, but it wasn't that. <laughs> it was, shoot. <laughs> wow. All right. Well, it it's was. Uh, Koch Yes. Thank you. Yeah, it's only there was some way we could look that up. Yeah, Thank you. right. <laughs> Go to the library. Um, so yeah, that was a that was a really fun band. It was very low key. I mean, we, we lived in different places. We did a few tours. We you know we kind of mailed cassette tapes around to write the song. So we did a lot of co writing for right. that, which was which was really fun. It was did, like did yeah. Jake produce that record? He was involved, yeah. He was involved in the first one. And yeah, he was involved in both of them. Like, you know, producing. He probably sang a little bit on it. It's a good sounding record. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I really like that first Some Girls record a lot. Feel it. Um, You don't like the second one so much? I I like it. Yeah, I just don't. I don't like the sound of it. We did it in a different studio. We took a different approach, which is, you know, we wanted to experiment a little bit. And I liked the process of making it. But I really love the sound of the first one. It's just got like a nice groovy warmth to it. It does. It's really warm. Get up off me. I will. 
thing about Bloomington what were the what were the cutters like <laughs> well I think I was a cutter <laughs> oh were you a cutter you're not yeah. a cutter I'm a cutter <laughs> uh, really remember when they made that movie actually Jake my husband Jake is in that movie no way yeah you can totally see him he's in a scene he's just like a teeny little cute toe-headed boy playing basketball of course um, in the background of a scene He's with his brother and sister. Yeah, you can totally see him. He's just playing basketball. He's just playing basketball, yep, and just being cute. Well, I'm going to have to look for that. Yeah, look for it. (laughs) You know, like I need another reason to watch Breaking Away. I love that movie so much. I'm glad you like it, too. It's it's such a quiet movie. Do you have memories of when they were shooting Breaking Away? Yeah, I do. A lot of my friends were in the crowd scene um, at the bike race, but like I was grounded or something. Like I couldn't (laughs) go that day. I was so mad. I was like, this is my big chance to be in a movie. But a lot of people I know are in it. And there's like a couple faces that I can see. So yeah, no, it was a very big deal. They took over the town. Yeah. Wow. It was exciting. All right. So now Sunshine Boys. All right. Okay. So this is your final chapter. For now. <laughs> this is my final chapter. Yeah, it seemed like you guys really like had, a, had, well, I don't want to say had, it's not over yet. Have a good thing going. Like you're really excited about it. Simpatico type of, stop me. Yeah, no, you know? absolutely. Like it just, it was, it was really, it was really an instant 
connection for us. Like just the first time we got together to play and, and we were, we were roped into being a band. It ended up being a great experience, but we, our friends, Brett Nevue and Rich, um, something who I can't remember Rich's name right now. They had this band. We'll cut all of this out. None of this is actually going to be broadcast. Oh, excellent. Perfect. perfect. Um, they had a band called Sex Ritter and they needed, they needed a backing band. What? Sex Ritter was the name of the band. Sex Ritter. Sex Ritter. Is that Um, like a, what does that mean? I think it's a play on Tex Ritter. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Let's go with that. So they ended up recruiting me and Doug and Jackie to be their band. So it was the five of us. And we did a couple of gigs with them. But after after those couple of gigs, we're like, you know what? We three really like playing with each other. And I always loved a three piece band. I love Mm -hmm. the like the simplicity of. The, the power troika, as Mike Watt used to say. Um, uh, right. So just like kind of had a hunch about it, I think. And we all did. We all just sort of had a, an instinct that, that this could be a thing. So I think like Dog like wrote a song or wrote a couple songs. We got together and we practiced and we just immediately clicked. And it, just, it felt really good and it, it sounded good. And I, I liked that we were all how do you say this? Like seasoned veterans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it just seemed to mean there was a lot less ego and a lot less bullshit. And, you know, by this time I had finally developed a work ethic and we all, you know, as I've said often, like we just really shared an ethic. Like we liked to practice. We liked to break the songs down and arrange them. And yeah, we just, we just clicked pretty effortlessly. Well, it seems like half the band's, uh, I don't know, life has been under quarantine. <laughs> That's kind of weird, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that that might have delayed my retirement because I think you know after I had back surgery and I, you know, kind of created my special drum kit, I thought like I could do this for a little while, but like not too much longer. And I'd sort of thought in my head like maybe like maybe twenty twenty will be my last oh, year. Okay. Um, but then twenty twenty hit, and I was like, well, no, I'm not going to stop now. Like our record came out, and we couldn't even have our release right you know for like 15 months we had to wait we kept like postponing it and so i i knew that i wanted to you know play some shows celebrate the release of our cd and have a like a deliberate ending right to the band exactly it's so tough like that thing where you're like okay we put out a record and then we have a release show and when you're not allowed to do that it messes with your head yeah, it's really unsatisfying. It was it was frustrating, um, but we just like kept pushing it back and just believed that it would happen, and it did. And it was really cathartic when yeah. it did. It was yeah. I think I felt like I was just crying all night. I was just like I was so happy and so incredible <laughs> yeah. to be able to play and to be in a room with people. Oh, yeah, you guys did some recording yeah. at Million Yen. Our old buddies at Million Yen. Yeah, what's your connection to Million Yen? Is that where you record? Uh, yeah, like Andy Gerber is, he was in this band called Laughing Man. And then his girlfriend who became his wife, Ellen, was in this band called Rust Bucket. And Rust Bucket was my favorite Chicago band. And Ellen is the the sister of Todd Phillips. What? Todd's sister? Todd's a really good buddy of mine. Yeah. Whoa. Okay. So that's when I met Todd through Ellen and all all that kind of stuff. So like... Those were like the first guys 
in uh, Chicago that kind of like, you know, took us under their wing and, you know, helped us out. And so like, I've known Andy for a long, long time. Oh, that's really cool. We made our way there through Matt Allison, who's the engineer that he's recorded everything that Sunshine Boys has done. Mm -hmm. And he just he really gets the band. He's, He's so great to work with. And I think I think he like prefers that studio. I mean, we've worked at a couple of different places. We, we recorded a lot of our album Work and Love at Northwestern, which was amazing. There's a, there's a recording studio there. And in the summer when the students aren't using it, faculty can wow. can use it. So that, that was really cool. That's but, a um, perk. That was a major perk. Yeah, that was a major perk. But but yeah, Million Yen was amazing. And we recently were back there. We recorded our final two tracks which will be coming out in june um and in fact yeah yeah just like a a week or two i wish i knew when (laughs) um that would be nice it's going to happen (laughs) and um one is called uh underwater and the other is called the beginning and we we went in one day and recorded them with matt and it felt great to have like one last experience in the studio right did you make uh dag play that 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 silver tone that's hanging up on the wall I don't. He he definitely was pulling a lot of guitars off the wall, but there was not a silver tone in his hands at any time. That thing's pretty cool. Yeah, it's very cool looking. Well, that brings us to Northwestern. What do you do at Northwestern? So I am in my tenth year of being an academic advisor and a lecturer in the radio, television, film department. So I advise undergraduates um, who are studying film. However. I have quit that job. I I'm kind of oh. quit a lot of things lately, so I'm I'm doing the job until the end. You quit of, that. I you quit haven't retired that. from that. Yeah, no, I I can't really retire in that way yet. But I I am not going to be an academic advisor anymore after June 30th. So I'm in like the very final stretch of doing this job that I've been doing for 10 years. Um, yeah, really, I'm excited about God. that. Yeah. Yes. Uh, well, what were you doing over there? You were like doing, what's this food and identity thing? That, that... Oh, yeah. So I, I mostly do academic advising, but a really cool thing about that gig is that it comes with a lectureship. So I've been able to teach as well. So periodically I'll teach a class like in communication studies or RTVF. And I did teach a class. I've taught a few cl- like food based classes about food as a form of communication or about food on film. That was a really fun like oh. seminar that I taught um, where we just watched a lot of food movies and like talked what? about that. Um, let's see. Well, my favorite one is Ratatouille. Okay. <laughs> I love that movie. Big um, Night, Tampopo. Yeah, those were both on my short list. We didn't watch those, but I, lo- I literally love both of those movies. What about 2001? Now, how is 2001 a food movie? It's all about food. Okay, well, so it's, it that. starts out and, you know, it's the dawn of man and they're like, yes. you know, chawing on, you know, raw meat and everything. And by the end of the movie, you know, we're all sitting there like, you know, eating like paste out of things. Yeah. Like there's so many scenes in the movie that are about food and then at the very end of the movie during the star chamber sequence he's sitting there and there's this big feast laid out for him oh yeah it's all about food and our phones oh my gosh that's the movie's all about food and our phones guest lecturer scott lucas yes you're invited for the 2001 day great. in that class great great <laughs> Um, yeah, but the cool the cool thing is that I'm still going to be able to teach at Northwestern. So even though I'm quitting the advising job, I'm going to be 
teaching in the School of Professional Studies. It's like the night school. I'm going to teach creative writing classes there. Um, so I'll still be like very loosely Great. tied. So, so you're not quitting? University. I am quitting. Like it's been a full time, like 40 hour a week gig. And I'm going from that to like, I'll teach a class every now and then. Um, so, yeah, it's a transition for sure. Well, food is a, is a big thing for what what you do. Like that book you you wrote, Red Velvet Underground. Yeah. Uh, if people don't know about that, it's it's kind of a recipe book, but it's so much more. It's It's a memoir. And it's also I love the way that like you connected with your son, you, you wanted to teach him some, some cooking skills, but that made you think totally. about yourself as a kid and being in a band. It was like brilliant. So like, talk about that. Yeah. And no, food is just like kind of the thread that ties all these things together in my life. And I mean, anybody who's ever been on tour knows that it, it's all about food. Yeah. Really. It's just like, we're all about food. Dinner. And then the other part of the food. Exactly. That's all that touring is about eating and then finding somewhere to deposit what you ate. 100% right, true. Right. That is true. Um, so, yeah, I mean, one, once I was like doing these cooking lessons with my kid and I was just going to write a book about that. I'm like, this is just about this thing. And I, I couldn't sell the book. And people are like, well, what about like you were in a band? And like, why isn't it about that? I'm like, this is not about that. Like, this right. is about this. And then I just kind of realized like, no, it's like, it's all connected. Right. And, and food was the thing that like helped me to just to link together these, these different pieces of my life. And it was really fun to write. Yeah. You know, with like, with the recipes at the end of every chapter, some of them are like things that we used to make in Boston because we were so broke. So like buy a bag of beans you know, and an onion and you make a big pot of soup. And what, for, you know, you for beans. pennies, you can feed yourself. <laughs> wait, wait a minute. Okay. Beans and onions and then a pack of soup. No, no. You, you make the soup out of the beans and onions. Okay. Have you ever, have you ever heard of ramen noodles? Yeah, no, but the whole point of the cookbook was like, I don't want my son to have to live off of ramen noodles. Right. And so I'm going to teach him how to make some real stuff that's just as cheap, but but better. Yeah. So was this, when you wrote this book, was this after you were already doing this food and identity class? Or did they give you the food and identity class because of the book? I think it's because of the book. I mean, I, I started writing about food a little bit for Paste Magazine. I did right. this column for them. Um, and... And then that kind of like led, I had a blog about food and that kind of led into my book. So like it was all sort of hooked up together. And then I was trying to think like, I want to teach a class. Like what could I teach a class about? It just seemed like this is the thing I'm thinking about and writing about and working on the most. So it just made sense to pitch that as a class. And it ended up working really well because everybody likes to talk about food and students love to talk about food, especially students who have just like left home for the first time. You know, they miss, they, they don't miss their parents as much as they miss like their parents' food and well and their dogs they miss their dogs but wow. um but yeah like it's it's a connection that that cuts pretty deep for yeah. most people yeah speaking of food and identity can we talk about white guys and pizza can, can you break down that <laughs> say more about Th that. that connection <laughs> what the hell's going on there that's your culinary identity. That, that's, it. that's it. That's it. But you—that's great though. Pizza's the best. You can't yeah, go wrong. <laughs> it is. I got nothing else going for me. Wasn't that's... there like some kind of a study done to like see if if someone if like you could live off of New York pizza? And the answer is yes. Like it's got enough of just like the basic nutrition for survival. So, so why couldn't you white live guys off of, rejoice? Why couldn't you live off the Chicago pizza? 
I, are we really going to get into this? Not you two. <laughs> not you two. You know, there are other types of pizza than... than uh, Then the casserole? <laughs> That's She's right. going low. That's We've low. got them all. We've got all the pizzas. <laughs> Right? No, it's true. I'm sure there's very good pizza in in Chicago. You don't eat you don't eat pizza in Chicago. <laughs> I just really like New York pizza and New Haven pizza. I, mm-hmm. I I'm sorry. All right, all right. And apologies <laughs> to Dean and Ed here, but uh, <laughs> New York pizza is great. But this New Haven thing that they got going, they call me deep dish, and I'm just kind of like, <laughs> you know what? Shh. Okay, yeah, I've walked into it here. I can see, yeah. (laughs) I dreamed I saw Joe Hill last night Alive as you and me Says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead I never died, said he the copper bosses killed you, Joe. They shot you dead, says I. Takes more than guns to kill a man, says Joe. I didn't die, said Joe. I did not die. with me about this thin crust pizza what's the place called again diagostinos 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 all right let's, i will let's go bring there. some diagostinos to 
the hot stove and you'll be like, okay. All right. Let's, you're on. Dean, Dean wasn't that impressed, but he, this guy, <laughs> see, I like all pizza. Dean only likes that tomato pie. He's out of his mind. You like the he's, tomato pie? Well, he's, he's more of an enthusiast. He's more passionate about it than I am. Yes. Very passionate. Sure. I he can't made a movie match about that it. level. He made a movie about yeah. it. So I cannot match that level of obsession, but I, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So are, are you writing a book about Angela DeAngelis? I am. I'm writing a book about Angel. I call her Angel. That's what everybody called her. Okay. Um, I was writing a biography about her, and I've been working on it for a while, but it it has turned into a novel for a few reasons, and that's feeling really good. Like I just sort of dreamed up this character that's kind of helping me tell the story, helping me tell her story, and I needed I needed a little bit more leeway because there's. There's just not a lot on her. There's not a lot of like original documents. Um, there's so that's not a lot why, because you sort of like ran into a, you painted yourself in a corner. Like there's not enough stuff about her. There wasn't quite enough. She died when she was 25 in the SLA shootout um, in Los Angeles. Which was Angeles, on TV. Which was the first televised shootout ever to happen because they just had the mini cams for the first time and they went out there and they broadcast it live. This it is the, the, the Patty Hearst SLA thing going on. Yeah, everybody it thought was, Patty Hearst was in the house and she wasn't in there. I mean, I think this is like one of my first memories was this being on TV every night. I really remember it too. It was 74, you know, so I was seven and I, I remember they interrupted. I, I think Happy Days was on or something and they, Ooh, they interrupted it to must show. Must have been important. The show. Oh, it was very important. Yeah. 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 And uh, and yeah, and the, I mean, all the news coverage, it was just nonstop. Like it was the only story going on and and you know i mean this was around the time of watergate but it was like totally sucked like just all the media attention well you know what they'd say today that it's it's a it's a conspiracy to take you know our attention away from watergate it's actually what some of the members of the sla say there's one member of the sla that i've become friends with i really like this guy a lot and and he thinks that that is the case that they're really relieved to have another story (laughs) to direct everyone to 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 take their attention off of what was happening in washington so i mean what made you think of doing this because i can't wait to read this thing Thank you. I, I care about her story so much. You know, she lived in Bloomington, Indiana, in my hometown. Oh, she was for a, a long time. She was a college student. She was kind of a princess. Um, she came from Jersey to go to college at Indiana. And she while she was there, she got somewhat radicalized. It was a very radical time in Bloomington. It was, you know, late 60s. Student protests were really big. Kent State happened while she was there. And... But it was, a, you know, a sort of a gradual radicalization process. But she ended up meeting Bill and Emily Harris in Bloomington. They were also IU students, and they're both from the Midwest. Bill's from Indiana. The three of them moved to Berkeley together, and they ended up being basically half the SLA. Yeah. You know, because SLA, the, the, the Symbionese Liberation Army, I mean, it was eight people or nine people at the very most. And three of them were these Bloomington people. And so growing up in Bloomington, I was very aware that there was this Bloomington connection to the SLA. And I was just always very interested in it. There was actually a photo of of Angel in the Indiana University Memorial Union where I used to hang out with my friends. And I remember looking at him. She was just beautiful. And, um, 
you know, had a kind of glow about her and just struck me. So I've, I've been aware of her my whole life. We even lived in the area at the same time. You know, we wouldn't have crossed paths probably, although my right. mother was very political and was always taking me to picket lines and, you know, weird hippie parties and stuff like that. So it's actually possible that I could have been, I could have crossed paths with Angela. I would have been a, you know, a very young child, a very young child, but still I've, I've become obsessed with her. You know, I think about her a lot. I care about her story. It really hasn't been told. And I, I think it's really interesting. Um, so I'm planning on releasing the book in it. It's under contract. It's like definitely going to be a book. It's going to come out in 2024, which is the 50th anniversary of the Hearst kidnapping. Wow. So I'm very excited about it. That's awesome. Thank you. Why is Network the best movie ever made? I love Network. You know, I haven't seen it in a long time, but you tell me. Still Why holds up. It? Still holds up. I, th- I was hoping you were going to tell me. Well, I'll get back to you on that. I'm going to watch it again. I haven't seen it. And I, I need to like watch some more like films from that time. And, and I mean, there's some movies that, that actually were super influential on the SLA. They used to watch, they used to do these film screenings around the Bay Area. And it parallax was like a Parallax rec- View, maybe? Were they really into Parallax View? They were really into State of Siege, which I need to see. I don't know much about it. Oh, really? Um, they, and I've got, a, I've got a little list of like SLA movies that I need to watch. And State of Siege is one. And there's like, there's a couple others. And, you know, they would have these screenings and people would come. And that's like, that was a recruitment tool for them. Like, that's how they would kind of find like-minded people was through film screenings right. you um, could do a film festival w- w- to go along with your book that's a great idea yeah i would love to do that yeah and you got to show network because I, I, w- ben what is the sla called in uh in network it's called oh yeah something they have else. a name yeah what are they it's yeah, something else but it's clearly it's, supposed to be the sla yeah it's like really thinly veiled and they work out a contract to like have a different robbery each week. It'll be like, you know, a robbery of the week. Ben's oh, yeah. Up. I got to watch this. I'm going to watch oh, it yeah. this week. Oh, yeah, yeah. Thank you for mentioning yeah, it. Yeah. We'll call it research. Yeah. Got to. Here it comes. We'll All the case. Who's going to get it first? Uh, oh, Gabe's got it. No, nope. I don't. I don't. Here comes Ben. Ooh. I've never seen them. I love watching these guys Google race. <laughs> <laughs> I t- I'll tell you some fun facts about Angela DeAngelis. Good. Angela um, dated Kevin Klein in college what? at Indiana. He, he went to Indiana as well. And they started a, a guerrilla theater group. After one of their performances, I think they performed Viet Rock, which was a little bit of a, like a predecessor to Hair. It was kind of an early version sort of of Hair. Was they, that the they, National Lampoon guys? I don't know. Okay. Um, Viet Rock. They performed that, and after it, people like actually burned their draft cards like on the spot after the performance um, in Bloomington. So she did that, and she also was in a band with Jane Pauley. What? Really? <laughs> yeah, a hillbilly jug band. They were sorority sisters, and they were in a hillbilly jug band called the Kappa Pickers. That was the um, ca- they were Kappas. Like that was the sorority that they're in. They, mm. they had a band called Kappa Pickers, and they yeah they did gigs in Bloomington, and they also performed on national television on some kind of like variety college competition thing. So somewhere there is footage of Jane Pauley. <sighs> 
and Angela DeAngelis together, but I can't find it. I can't find it. I think Polly might have it. I interviewed her for the project. Oh, really? Yeah. What's she like? She's like, I might have it somewhere. She's an angel. Really? Oh my gosh. She was amazing. Yeah. She, yeah. I, I think, I think it's a, it's an act. I think she's got the footage. She doesn't want you to see it. I, she did say that she was very pitchy in it, so oh, she, yeah. she might be hiding it. But she said yes. it like it, it surfaced in some kind of a like, um, like a blooper reel TV show of like celebrities, you know, where were they then or whatever right. kind of thing. But I don't know if she's like had it buried or what, like it's, I can't find it. Maybe your researchers can help me. It was called the all American college show. And it's the same show that the carpenters kind of got their first break on. Ooh, the carpenters love the carpenters, big carpenters fan. I love them. Yeah. 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 I don't listen to them every day, but I do really like that. Have you heard Mark Lanigan's cover of solitaire? No. <sighs> Love him. I'll look for that. As soon as you're done, go listen to it and okay. pour yourself a drink and prepare to cry. Okay. It's I can do that. so moving. It's great. Gabe, what do you got? Come on. I know you got some questions. I'm going to go out on a limb here because, okay. uh, you know, I only heard, I think it was yesterday that we were <laughs> going to have you on the podcast. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to have to go back and listen to some stuff because, you know, I, I, in nine, around 90, 1999, 2000, whenever Juliana got her start and her first record, I, I was doing a zine. 1999, 2000, that was, you got to keep going back. Okay, 89. She's OG. Whatever year it was, it was around okay. 90 or 91. Okay, we're going to go back for it. Yeah, that sounds I, right. I was, I was doing a zine and Mammoth Records sent me a press kit and it said, here, the debut album from Juliana Hatfield. <clears throat> so I wow. became a real big fan of hers back then. Cool. So I had to I had to backtrack and go so back. Gabe had a hardcore zine. Yeah, it was oh. a hardcore zine. Straight edge, straight edge hardcore zine, and then oh, yeah. Mammoth sends him a press <laughs> kit with Juliana's first record. Yes, I but love I, that. I was, Gabe becomes a huge fan. Oh yes, sure, she's one of my favorite singers. But then I had to backtrack and get the Blake Baby stuff because that's what you do when you find a band or, or an artist and you go back. So I became a fan of Blake Babies after the fact. Didn't get a chance to see it. But when some girls came around and toured, I think I think you played the Double Door in Chicago. Yes, double Door. We did, yeah, yeah. we did. So I, I got to see you, and, and I was really glad that I got to see that that first record and stuff. But I really love your drumming. I, I told Scott today. I said, "Hey, she's got a she's got a feel about her that just just has her own kind of style and stuff. It's like, and I want I want to say it's like Ringo esque. That's so nice. Gosh, thank you. So I, I just wanted to say, I, I can definitely feel and hear your sound. It's it's really cool, and I'm, I'm kind of a big fan. I really appreciate that. Thank I you. I think you sound like Tommy Lee. I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> no, I mean, whenever people talk about Ringo, they say, oh, you can definitely recognize his drumming as soon as you hear it. That's the, way I, that's, that's the way I feel when I listen to your stuff. See, that's that's why you, you got to at least come back for hot stuff. I mean, come on. The band of our own, you're the only band that played the thing that had your own T-shirts. Nobody cares about any of you know, the chicago all-stars or boston all-stars it's all about band of their own we have killer t-shirts yeah too. really great t-shirts well thanks for doing this you're great i mean my it, pleasure you know it, and it's when you when you look at everything i've got this list of all the bands you've been in i mean it's it's pretty impressive and you know it's it's great thank you it's been so fun talking to you ah, it's been great talking to you thanks 
I'll see you soon. Thank you. Yes, you will see me soon. Good luck Thursday. Thanks a lot. 